Hey everybody, Magnus here. You know, at the time that I record all of this, it's just been announced that Brandon Routh is going to be doing some kind of guest appearance in that TV show Arrow, and he's going to be playing the Atom. I gotta tell you people, this is even better than Routh's uh, silhouette being used in those Smallville Season 10 promo images. Remember, you had Tom Welling standing against a what looked like a sort of cement wall. And then you had this sort of promo image from Superman Returns as his shadow. But it's not really Superman. It's just it's Brandon Routh taken from Superman Returns. And that was used as Tom Welling's shadow. And at the time, my attitude about it was, dude, I fucking love it. Routh is but a shadow of a real Superman. I gotta tell you, I love this even better. Him being on Arrow, God, I love that even better. Because 2006's biggest star, quote-unquote, just became some shitty TV show's smallest guest. <laughs> I mean, gee, you can't pay for symbolism better than that. Your attention, please! This is a piece of art. His Kryptonian biological makeup is enhanced by Earth's yellow sun. Ah! Dr. Doom wears body to conceal his own mangled form. Worst episode ever. Why? Who shot first? Who gives a shit? It's what's called super nerd nitpicking over something that's not really that important. Welcome back to Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and what I do is talk about comics, movies, and TV shows. Mostly. But, every eighth episode, I've been pausing to look back at a specific TV show. Smallville. You see, once upon a time, I used every eighth episode of this show the podcast weekends, I guess you could say, to talk about Star Wars comics. But things change. And in this case, my format kind of changed. Somewhat out of necessity and somewhat out of boredom. Now, yes, it is true that I used the very first episode of this podcast to defend Smallville against a bunch of unwarranted attacks that people have made over the years, but Number one, that was primarily defensive in nature. I mean, the episode was even titled, Trennis Magnus Defends Smallville, so it's not like I buried the lead on that one. But as I say, that was all defensive, so why not go on the offensive and, apart from that, just shoot the shit about the entire series at large, talk about the stuff that I think was awesome, the stuff that kind of sucked, and whatever else. <clears throat> I mean... Talking about Smallville, for me, is 
kind of like running red lights. I just don't need much encouragement to do it, you know? Now, the first idea I had was to make a commentary track about each episode, but who the hell has that kind of free time? Not I, my loyal subjects. And anyway, we all know that the only way I could stand watching season four once again is if I got drunk off my ass ahead of time. I don't know if anybody's ever attempted podcasting while intoxicated, but that's one milestone I'm not in a big hurry to achieve. Anyway, and so it happened that I replaced my Star Wars segments with these Smallville retrospectives. The idea here is to tie subsequent developments and later seasons back to what's come before as I go along. So if you think the very underrated continuity from the series will get overlooked, don't worry. I got this whole shit under control. Anyway, to get down to it though, last time I finished my remarks after recapping Smallville Season 1, Episode 17, Reaper. That can mean only one thing. It's time for a break. So be right back after these messages to resume the discussion with episode 18, Drone. of comics, 15 years after the rise of the Comics Code Authority. The Bronze Age was a dream given form. Its goal? To portray superheroes in a way that was socially relevant by tackling real-world issues. It's a catch-all, a place to explore monsters, demons, gunslingers, gods, and superheroes alike. Writers and artists wrapped in house styles of sophisticated realism, creating the stuff of legends. There is no assurance of quality but it's our last best hope for comic books. This is a retrospective of the true golden age. The year is 1970. The name of the podcast, Uncovering the Bronze Age. Tune into our feed for regular content at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com. Also home to the Quarterbin Podcast and the Short Box Showcase. Jeff. Hey, Mike. Man, it sure is great to be back to from crisis to crisis after all this time. It's been a busy year for both of us. For very different reasons. But now we're ready to cover the post-death and return Superman stories. Yeah, and we're about to start the books that came out in 1994, which means that we have so much to look forward to, like Bizarro's World. The Battle for and Fall of Metropolis. Superman Doomsday, Hunter, Prey. Worlds Collide. Well, you're looking forward to that one. Oh, bite me. Zero hour. Zero month. And right there at the end, we have Dead Again. And don't forget, the Elseworlds annuals as well. Well, most of them anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. some of those really did suck, don't they? But From Crisis to Crisis is back. 
New episodes will drop on Thursday, just like before. You can find the show at the Superman homepage, www.supermanhomepage.com, as well as at the Superman Podcast Network, which is at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. And we also have a Facebook page that you can like by going to www.facebook.com slash from crisis to crisis a superman podcast.com. Is it .com on there? No. No, no, it's not. No, no .com. Forget that. <laughs> so from crisis to crisis is back, folks, and better than ever. Well, I'm better than ever. You need some work. No, shut up. No, you 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 shut up. From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast covering the post-crisis adventures of Superman one half month at a time. Every Thursday at www.supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbailytude.com. Oh my god, I'm J. David Weeder. I haven't podcasted for 36 hours. I need to make a podcast. I have to do this. Maybe something Golden Age. I need a partner. Golden Age, podcast obsessed. Got it. John's John's Toilets and Toiletries. John, we need to make a new podcast. A new podcast? I haven't podcasted in a whole day. I need a new podcast. Well, I've been listening to a lot of David Bowie lately. Let's do Starman and his Golden Age adventures. Ooh, who who was the artist on Starman? What's that Jack Burnley? Yes, we should cover Jack Burnley's run on Adventure Comics and Starman. Okay, I have just the perfect guy because I know another guy who loves Jack Burnley. So let me call Charlie Neymar and see if we can get him on a three-way here. Hi, what's up? Charlie. Charlie. Ah. We need you to do a limited series podcast monthly at starmanobservatory.blogspot.com. Are you available? Uh, Monthly? What? Starman, that's Jack Burnley, right? Oh, heck yes, I'm available. This podcast is Go. The Starman Observatory, covering Starman's Golden Age adventures. Monthly at starmanobservatory.blogspot.com. Hi, this is Erica Durant. You're listening to Magnus talk about Smallville. Okay, I'm back now, and I'm ready to start talking about Smallville, Season 1, Episode number 18, Drone. Once again, I was tempted to invoke the stray clause here and just say, I don't like Drone, and then move on to the next episode. But honestly, there are a few things to Drone as an episode. Not much, but a few. For one thing... Pete shows a really fucking remarkable awareness of electoral politics and campaigning. Which makes sense, because at the time this episode would have been written, Pete was serving as Lex Luthor's vice president, so that much resonates with the comics. But the other thing is that Pete hasn't gotten too much development up to this point in the show. I mean, his family got royally buttfucked by Lionel Luthor years ago, and... Pete's in love with with Chloe. And that's pretty much it. This episode, Drone gave him some much-needed extra dimension. 
He's not just the funny guy who always has to exit the scene and do something else in the episode, and I kind of dig that, you know? The other thing here is that it positions Clark in a leadership role. Pete sees that Clark has potential and tries to channel that potential into something meaningful. Yeah, you could argue that he only started it because he knew it'd piss Clark off, which is a vital part of any best friend's job description, but at the same time, it fits what Clark is ultimately going to be all about. It's not exactly perfect, though. The problem here is that student council elections really are just popularity contests. And I mean that in a very limited way, because Stuco doesn't really even decide anything. They make a choice between the options presented to them by the school's administrators. That's it. What'll be the, the colors at next year's homecoming dance? Stuff like that. That's about as much as the student council is really allowed to do. So the idea of Stuco presidents somehow being able to accomplish anything for anybody is... It's a trope of, of TV that makes me wonder if anybody who works in TV ever fucking went to high school. I'm sure... Theoretically, everybody's been to high school, but you'd be hard-pressed to know that from the political allegory episodes like this one. But truth is, there's, there's really no comparison between the type of authority the President of the United States has and the strictly symbolic position of being Stuco President. The latter is not a microcosm of the former. But the other thing... At least at my school, Stuco candidates were juniors who'd take office their senior year. But I'm supposed to believe that freshmen are allowed to do this? I don't think so. And for whatever it's worth, my Stuco president was an absolute dill hole. Yeah, that's right. Anthony, if you're listening to this, fuck you, buddy. Fuck you and the fire truck you rode in on. Asshole. But I guess when you move away from that stuff, there are some lessons here for Clark. Yeah, Clark, Clark's a natural leader. That much is true. But just because Pete sees that potential in Clark doesn't mean everybody will. They'll expect him to justify why he wants to lead. He has to earn it. But that isn't what happens in this episode. Clark simply expects the torch's endorsement because he and Chloe are friends. Nothing more to it than that. He and Chloe hang out, they've survived a couple of near-death experiences, and she has a crush on him. So, Clark expects an endorsement. But he hasn't earned it, and so Chloe isn't going to endorse him. And because of that, Clark's in for some bitter fucking disappointment. But the one thing he can't argue in all this is that Chloe doesn't have a point. Either way you slice it, Clark has his work cut out for him. Lana's got problems of her own, though. The Talon's getting the shit beaten out of it by the beanery. Lana's expected to, to basically just ex success to come her way automatically. And when that didn't happen, she expected Lex to just wave his magic wand and do the dirty work for her. As with Clark, Lana's got some hard truths to learn. Still, she wasn't completely on her own, and... I think a kind of remarkable show of ingenuity and creative thinking, Clark offers to hold his election rally at the Talon. He needs a venue to do it, and the Talon's as good a place as any, and 
And really better than most, since he has a better chance of fucking the owner of the Talon than he probably does the Beanery. And something else? Sasha Woodman, the villain of the piece, is played by Shonda Farr, who plays her like a complete lunatic. She goes a little over the top here and there, but by and large it works. Sasha's a major creep, and that's how Shonda Farr plays the role. Can't ask for anything better than that. Now, I haven't paid too much attention to the acting in this show up to now, apart from Cameron Dye as Detective Sam Phelan knocking, out of the, knocking it out of the park twice, but Shonda Farr took what could have been an anemically written role and, in my opinion, really made it work. I mean, let's face it. Sasha isn't exactly the most dangerous meteor freak to ever come to Smallville. So the acting has to go to the next level to help sell Sasha as a threat. And mostly it does, so kudos to Shonda Farr. She definitely made a real character out of a pretty thankless role. So that's worth something. Another cool bit of business is the CG swarm of bees. Now, it's easy to poke fun at it now, considering how antiquated the, some of the effects might look, but... At the time this episode aired, this stuff was cutting fucking edge, especially for television. And honestly, in a lot of shots, the CGI effects really hold up, even now. Not every shot, but a lot of them. And looky here. I've spent all this time talking about an episode I originally thought I was going to have nothing to say about. So, deeper themes and implications... Honestly, not a whole lot jumps out at me. Although, as I said, before Clark and Lana go on similar journeys in this episode, Clark is unwittingly thrust into a competition, and he expects to win because, hey, he's Clark. What he discovers is that victory must be earned. And I guess more broadly, the public can't be expected to automatically place their trust in someone. They need to be shown that someone is trustworthy. If Clark wants to succeed, he's going to have to knuckle down and work. And for her part, Lana experiences kind of the same thing. She expected business to boom at the Talon simply because it's her coffee shop. She never never anticipated having to earn business from the Beanery or that the Beanery might declare war on her. She has to justify her presence in Smallville just just like Clark has to justify votes. Neither of them completely win, but... They don't completely lose, either. Most importantly, they learn some valuable life lessons about feelings of entitlement versus working to earn your place. So, episode 19, Crush. The episode starts on a kind of funny note with a medium shot of Clark with an off-camera voice saying, I see you in a uniform flying. You ever considered a career in the Air Force? Um, I'll think about it. Which is kind of amusing. It gets better, though. Wait, Chloe, why are you being so hypersensitive? You know, most men are from Mars, Clark, but you're from some distant galaxy that I've never even heard of. Look, I know I screwed up, but why is Chloe having a breakdown? You're not the most observant person in the world, are you? What are you talking about? She wants to spend a day with you uninterrupted. No Lana and no Lex. She was planning on asking you to the spring formal. Yeah, but that'd be like... Date? But seriously... Chloe's pissed off at Clark, number one, because he screwed up their student journalism convention thing, and number two, 
She's got the hots for him, and he's completely stupid about it. Meanwhile, the thrill is gone for Lana and Whitney. But, like, now's a kind of shitty time to dump him because of problems with his dad. And hasn't that been all of us at one point or another? I'm serious here. I mean, I've run into that a few times. And back in high school, my solution was to behave like a total asshat and make her so fucking miserable that she dumps me. Because then I don't have to feel like I'm the bad guy or I'm a quitter or something. Yes, yes, yes. As a defense, I offer only the folly of youth. But, in general, aspects of this episode work for me from the angle that the relationships that Smallville, as a TV show, has depended on are starting to get a little frayed. It's the end of their freshman year, and that, that rings true for me. I remember the end of my f- freshman year of high school, and it, it didn't feel like the beginning of high school. It felt like it was the end of junior high. All the friends I had back in junior high, I, I mostly never hung out with again. Freshman year was when we drifted apart. The same thing's starting to happen with Smallville, and it's easy, at least for me, to believe in because I went through that very thing myself. What's that's, what sets this all apart from real life, though, apart from the fact that the lead character is an alien, I mean, what sets this apart from, real, from the real world, though, is that nobody wants this. None of the characters want to lose each other. They all know they have good things going with one another, and that's important to them. They don't want to lose it. And, I don't know, I just, that works for me. So, deeper themes and implications. Honestly, not much to choose from this time around. Once again, characters are going through similar journeys. Clark and Chloe, Lana and Whitney, Lex and Pamela Jenkins. As to Chloe and Justin making out where he makes everything in the room rise into the air with his telekinesis, wow, (laughs) Wow! (laughs) That symbolism wasn't lost on any of us, was it? Oh well. Whatever, never mind. And holy shit, what a body count! Justin's doctor really deserves a hand. His nurse takes the elevator to a long dirt nap. Principal Kwan reinvents vehicular homicide. Mr. Fordman dies from complications due to Aunt May syndrome, and Pamela Jenkins passes away from cancer. And Justin's victims all checked out with a very literal sense of justice. Kind of a a, a variation on Justin's own misfortunes. I mean, that's some dark shit. So anyhow, episode 20, Obscura. As with uh, other episodes this season, the subplots are what make this episode work. This villain is every bit as disposable as any of the rest, but... There's a lot to enjoy about Obscura. For starters, Lex gets his first real lead that a ship landed in Smallville on the day of the meteor shower. In short order, he gathers his first concrete proof of it. That is to say, he finds an uh, an octagonal disc designed to fit into Clark's ship. So, big shit stewing here. And that's not all. Clark asks Chloe to the spring formal. And it makes sense that he'd do it. it. It doesn't completely add up that he'd wait as long as he did, but 
Maybe that's nitpicking. And I guess on that note, maybe maybe it's time that we talk about the Clark and Chloe thing. Now, <clears throat> look, I understand why Goff and Miller were reluctant to pair Clark with Chloe. Chloe was originally intended to be a surrogate for Lois. Does that make sense? Chloe, at this point, is kind of the Lois Lane prototype for Smallville High School. That means that if Clark ends up dating Chloe at some point, there's a very good chance it'd be hard to believe that they wouldn't end up together permanently. But if they somehow did break up, it it then kind of becomes a little hard to sell Lois as his new love interest since it didn't work out with a character who's basically a carbon copy of Lois. At the same time, though, Tom Welling and Allison Mack, <clears throat> they had very good chemistry with each other, and it's, it's logical to want to play with that. On top of all that, Goff and Miller envisioned Lana as the object of Clark's desire. It doesn't seem to make a difference that Tom Welling and Kristen Krug just didn't have jack shit for chemistry with one another. It doesn't matter that Lana isn't even all that interesting as a character. The original story that Goff and Miller developed demanded that Clark and Lana be kind of star-crossed lovers, and damn it, they'd run with that come hell or high water. Now, I want to be careful how I say this. There's something to be said for sticking to your guns creatively and not compromising on your original vision. Don't get me wrong, but... When the fans, the story, the characters, and even the actors obviously want things to go another way, are you obligated to modify your story? I don't know. It's arguable. What's not arguable, though, is that Smallville fulfilled the Clark and Chloe thing as well as they could, considering the, the limitations that they had to work with them. Chloe's an original creation for the show, so they've got flexibility with her. But, but at the same time, she's still basically a duplicate of Lois Lane, which poses all kinds of problems for if and when Lois ever shows up in Smallville. I think this is the main reason why Chloe Sullivan's never really been satisfactorily brought into the comics. Because the minute you try you're left facing the fact that she's not a completely unique character. She was created to be a teenage Lois Lane. And if you modify her character too much beyond that, you're essentially creating another brand new character with a familiar name. It's complicated, and any way you, that you handle the situation is bound to disappoint someone. Maybe it's just the nature of any truly creative endeavor that sometimes things happen that you didn't anticipate and then you're left struggling to keep up with your own creative process. That sort of thing has happened to a million artists a million times before Smallville and no doubt it's going to happen to a million artists a million times after Smallville. All I can really say is that Goff, Miller, the writers, and Allison Mack all did well by Chloe when all said and done. They were honest with the material, and within the construct of Smallville, they gave Clark compelling reasons not to choose Chloe. They sold the concept, and at the end of the day, it's all you can do. Anyway, episode 21, 
Tempest, the season finale. The episode starts with a bang as Lionel shitcans the entire Luthercorp plant, blames it all on Lex, and tries to bring him back to Smallville kicking and screaming. It's a cold opening, and in more ways than one. There have been times when the show plays pop songs in the, in the background of some episodes, really without much of a point. They're just kind of there sometimes. But other times, it really is used master, uh, masterfully. And the Stabbing Westward song, What Do I Have to Do, playing in the background of the teaser, is a pretty good example of when Smallville used pop songs to great effect. What's interesting, though, is, is that it plays underneath the entire teaser. It starts off with the song playing, it gets buried deep, deep, deep down into the mix, and then rises back up as Lionel prepares to leave the Luther Court plant. I mean, it's just fucking phenomenally well done, in my opinion. Of course, news of the Luther Court plant shutting down causes a pretty fucking big stir. In a one-horse town like Smallville, a single plant closing down means everything. And what I dug about Tempest as an episode is how it affects everybody. Luthercourt plant shutting down affects everybody. Nobody gets off light. Lex, Clark, Jonathan, Martha, Chloe, Pete, Lana, everybody. Goff and Miller don't rush anything. They're content to show us exactly how much the Luthercourt plant means to Smallville's economy and citizens. Now, obviously there's no meteor villain this week. The jeopardy of Tempest as an episode comes mostly from Roger Nixon stumbling across Clark's secret, Lionel Luther using Smallville to blackball Lex, and then the tornado wrecking shop on the whole town. The occasions when Smallville broke away from the superpowered mutant formula during season one always brought about end results that were uniformly awesome. And this episode's no exception. Now, there's an obvious influence here coming from Superman for all seasons with the tornado aspect. <clears throat> and I like that the tornado thing in, 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 uh, in Tempest because the episode built up to that moment from the get-go. Passing references to weather and storms along with brief sudden gusts of wind, uh, the force coming off the helicopter blades and in, in uh, the teaser that we're blowing Lex's coat around. All of those things foreshadow what's coming. It just works beautifully. The tornado ripping Smallville up is what Tempest was always building up to, so when it happens, it doesn't feel forced at all. And there's a lot in peril by the time the episode wraps up. Lana's been swept up in the tornado. Jonathan's missing. <clears throat> Shit's going down with Clark's ship. Roger Nixon may reveal Clark's secret to the whole world. Who the fuck knows what just happened to Martha? And there's a chance Chloe may never speak to Clark again since he left her high and dry at the spring formal to go after Lana even though he promised he wouldn't. So, deeper themes and implications. What really stood out to me is that in the pilot episode, Lana and Whitney went to homecoming while Clark skipped it and rescued everybody from Jeremy Creek. In Tempest, Clark attended the spring formal while Lana and Whitney skipped it, and later Clark had to rescue Lana from the tornado. 
I guess my point here is it's interesting what those two dances said about the state of the characters' lives at each moment. Chloe and Pete went to homecoming together strictly on a platonic basis, while Clark and Chloe went to the spring formal together strictly on a romantic basis. There could be more to that, which I'm missing, but there it is. And so, that's season one of Smallville. Not bad. Only took four episodes to get through the entire season. And I'm not sure if that pattern will hold up for future seasons, but there it is. <sighs> when all said and done, I usually ask if this is a story that desperately needed to be told. Was Smallville necessary for Superman? On many levels... I obviously say yes. I mean, it's my favorite incarnation of Superman outside of comics. Yes. I place Smallville ahead of even the Christopher Reeve films. I'll probably get into that in some future episode, too. Probably my... In fact, you know what? It'll probably be my summary of season 10 and the series at large, actually. But yeah, for many reasons, I place... Smallville way ahead of the Reeve movies, and I don't say that to be controversial or piss anybody off. It's just how I feel. Smallville started by showing us a Clark who, on the one hand, was pretty far away from what we commonly think of when we picture Superman. The virtue, the nobility, the heroism. Those are, those, those are traits that Clark either doesn't possess or else he hasn't completely developed just yet. But on the other hand, it's staggering to think just how close he is to being Superman outside of the Kent's guidance. As I said before, Jonathan and Martha never tell Clark how to use his abilities. All they tell him is that he needs to keep his power secret and he can't use his powers to cheat and get ahead. Clark is the one who decides to use his powers to help people. Clark is the one who holds himself to, at times, <clears throat> impossible standards. Clark needs support, love, and guidance from Jonathan and Martha, but he doesn't necessarily need them to inform his entire moral universe. He's got that covered on his own in a lot of ways. Al Goff and Miles Miller intentionally showed us a character and a setting that's very far removed from the traditional Superman mythos in order to show us how this mixed-up farm boy became the most famous, most powerful, and most respected superhero in the world. And showing the transition necessarily means showing a character who isn't ready to be the hero the world needs. Clark isn't perfect, it's true, but throughout season one, and really for several more seasons yet to, cl yet to come, it, I, I have to say, Clark is a very reactive character. He's perfectly content to use his abilities to protect himself, his family, and his friends, but the idea of taking an active hand to go looking for to go looking for problems that he can deal with is foreign to his thinking. Clark lives in a small town 
and thinks in small ways. It's nowhere on his radar to become a beacon of hope for the world. He simply wants to help when he can, but otherwise he's content to live in obscurity. Now, the reason for that is because Martha, and especially Jonathan, did maybe too good a job of telling Clark to keep a low profile. As a result, Clark isn't some showboating glory seeker out to make a name for himself, but and that's good, don't get me wrong, but he's the, that comes at the expense of him developing a sort of dualistic mode of thinking that says Clark Kent can either reveal to the world that Clark Kent has superpowers, or else Clark Kent can protect Clark Kent's privacy and at best settle for helping people out every once in a while. There is no middle ground in this as far as Clark's concerned. He can either reveal himself to the world, or he can keep his mouth shut about his secret. There is no third choice. There is no possibility of creating a secret identity. And that's a major psychological obstacle which Clark has to overcome. And it takes a lot of seasons for him to do so. But the seeds of that are readily apparent all throughout season one. If you were paying attention in the first season, none of Clark's hang-ups and foibles in the series later on are going to seem like they came out of nowhere. Another thing is that Clark, as I say, holds himself to impossible standards sometimes. To Clark's way of thinking, he doesn't, he doesn't make mistakes. In his mind, he either succeeds or he fails. He rarely looks at anything as a learning experience. When he succeeds, Clark feels like he's done his job. But when he makes a mistake, he internalizes it and punishes himself to literally no end. Nothing less than perfection is acceptable. And because of that, even the smallest trace of honest, simple human error is grounds for unending self-flagellation. Lex warns Clark about that whole messiah complex and making a lot of enemies, and he's, he's giving good advice. Season one set up this teenaged Clark with flaws and weaknesses that he has to resolve somehow in order to become the, the adult Superman. Season one's job was to establish Clark's character, warts and all. On that basis, it's an unqualified success. It also serves Lex well, too. In season one, Lex and Clark both start getting an idea of what their true destiny is. They don't have all the pieces. They don't know where everything is going, but season one begins with them seeing glimpses of their futures. And that's, it's, oftentimes it's very powerful stuff. Now, was everything about season one perfect? Certainly not. As I've said before, several of the episodes have fairly repetitive uh, plot lines. And yeah, there are reasons for that. I've explained what those reasons are, but that doesn't change the fact that season one is a very episodic-based season in ways that subsequent seasons of the show just aren't. They're not. Whether or not you think that's a good thing or a bad thing is irrelevant. The fact of the matter is that Goff and Miller 
didn't design season one to be watched in DVD marathon sessions like subsequent seasons are. Season one was originally conceived during the very last gasp of an older age of broadcast television where the initial broadcast and possibly syndication was about as much life as anyone could expect from any TV show. By contrast, all remaining seasons of Smallville were developed with the idea of DVD marathons in mind and the stories were crafted to suit that new medium. And yeah, I define DVD boxed sets as their own medium independent of broadcast television. DVD has irrevocably changed serialized dramatic storytelling for television. So, season one is mostly a product of the era and the circumstances under which it was made. Yeah, some episodes can be a little repetitive, but when I want to watch a standalone episode of Smallville without having to memorize nine fucking zillion subplots, I usually choose something from season one. So, all in all, this is one of my favorite television shows of all time and my absolute favorite incarnation of Superman, and honestly, one of my favorite seasons of the show's entire run. So, well done, Al Goff and Miles Miller. Well done. So, I think that's just about it. I'm going to be right back after these messages. I'm just going to take a break. You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen, and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost 100 bucks to collect. Join me in the Quarterbin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarterbin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast in iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. If you like strange pop culture if you like obscure stuff that you wish you'd have heard of years ago and you don't know what it is if you like just that kind of stuff old radio um, obscure unmarketable pop culture uh, strange chiptune music um, all sorts of things like that can be found on the quake reversal satellite on Overnightscape Underground at O-N-S-U-G dot com. It's an amazing show at an amazing place full of uh, strange and unmarketable internet transmissions. Hours and hours and days and just O-N-S-U-G dot com. Take a look around and I bet you you'll find something.
Okay, I'm back now, and in case it wasn't obvious, I tend to record the feedback section separately from the main episode itself. Now, I don't know if I've ever come right out and said that, but yeah, that's pretty much how I do it. I'm also not really sure if that's completely obvious either. I mean, like, if you were to listen to this stuff as an ignorant outsider, would you think that I record an entire episode all at the same time? Huh. I don't know. But anyway, so, like I said, I tend to record the uh, feedback for any given episode completely, totally apart from the main part of the episode. So as I record this right now, it is... The sun hasn't even fucking thought about coming out yet, is how early in the morning it is, and I'm just... <clears throat> I am all over the place here, so, uh, still waking up, basically, is what it comes down to, but, uh, normally I wouldn't dream about recording anything so early on in the day, but I anticipate having a very busy day today, and this may be my only real chance to, uh, do any kind of recording, so, so that's that. So... This first piece of uh, feedback, it's an email. This came through on March the 19th. It's entitled The Big Book of Losers, sent by my old friend, Fanboy Miss Prime. And uh, Fanboy Miss Prime writes, Man, the Big Book Report is amusing. All kinds of crazy stuff to cover as well. And uh, Prime, I'm going to put your email on pause here and just say, you know, that's actually one of the um, things that people actually seem to really respond to. You know, with uh, the big books, is the diversity of a uh, of a subject matter. And at this point, I'd like to think that Chris Honeywell and I have covered some pretty serious shit. I mean, just going off memory here, but as I recall, we, meaning he and I, we've covered the uh, big book of urban legends, <clears throat> the big book of conspiracies. The Big Book of Hoaxes, uh, the uh, uh, Big Book of uh, Losers, which obviously is what inspired your email. And at the time that I record this, uh, this feedback section here, Honeywell and I have recorded, but not yet released, an episode about uh, the Big Book of the 70s. And so... That's when this is being recorded. Now, keep in mind, as you hear this, assuming everything went according to schedule, you've already heard the big book of the 70s that was released on May the 13th. And so, so yeah, there is that. But, uh, like I said, that <clears throat> that is the, uh, that's the next one that's in the pipeline. Now, the next one that he and I are going to release after the big book of the 70s, I think what he and I were talking about was uh, recording a something about um, the uh, big book of scandal. Which actually, as I think about it, you know what? By the time you actually hear this part too, we will have we you know we'll have not only recorded that, we'll have released that as well. So, I mean, wow, that's. Uh, <clears throat> That's really something. I mean, wow, I really am ahead of the curve here. So, okay. So, now, what he and I are going to record after that, I don't know. 
All right, that's all I, I mean, he and I usually, we tend to go one book at a time, whichever one that he and I feel like talking about, that's the one we talk about, right? So, so that's that. But yeah, like, to get back to your point, though, the thing that people seem to really enjoy about uh, the big book report is the diversity of material that, that, uh, that's inherent to all of this, right? And, um. And I, I, like I said, I think maybe the um, the best example of that that I can think of would be uh, the big book of conspiracies. I mean, how many supposed geek-oriented podcasts out there ever dream about talking about conspiracy theories, right? But me and I did. So, still, he and I have only really scratched the surface of the stuff that's out there. I do know at some point in the future... Uh, he and I are going to do a, uh, an episode about the big book of the unexplained. I really don't know when that's going to happen, but that's something that he and I are both really interested in. And there's a, there's really <clears throat> there's really a, just a wide variety of stuff to choose from. And this kind of goes back into my my uh, I guess interest in uh, nonfiction comics. I really like the I guess I just I. I I'm in love with the comic book format as a format, and I'm also really interested in nonfiction comics, not because, you know, they're... I, I want to come off like one of those, you know, snooterati, just fucking douchebag, you know, hipster types that only seem to have an eye for, you know, unusual or non-superhero type of... <clears throat> uh, types of uh, comics. I like all types of comics. And to me, a comic book can and really should be everything, you know? So there's no need to restrict yourself to just superheroes or no need to restrict yourself to just horror comics or zombie comics or nonfiction comics. I mean, comics can be everything. And I, I really, I just, I love the comic book format, like I said, and I think this is probably the greatest, most expressive format that we have as a human race. I, I believe it, you know? And the... To me, the, the interest is, I guess, it, it, it just the, the talking about just the potential that this format has, and to me, that's, that's what's really interesting about it. So, anyway, I'm rambling here, so I'm just going to, like I said, I'm still first thing in the morning, so get back in your email. <clears throat> Prime writes, though there's a certain, well... For Millie Vanilli, or however that's actually spelled, they were they were in the Super Mario Brothers cartoon. Let me put your email back on pause and say, I did not know that. I had no idea. Now, just, you know, keep in mind, the Super Mario Brothers cartoon was always sort of lost on me when I was a kid. I guess I didn't... I didn't... I, I, I didn't get it, is what I guess I'm saying. Now... I guess just in the interest of full disclosure, what, and this is just my memory of things, but when I was growing up, I don't remember that cartoon show ever coming on in the afternoon. Make sense? I don't remember seeing that show uh, on in the afternoon. Like, and the reason I mention this is because it seems like anytime this subject ever comes up between you know people about our age, what I've noticed is that people, they have very good memories of that show, number one. 
But then they also have very clear memories of seeing that show in the afternoon, right? And you know what? Maybe they're right. Maybe it was just fucking that far off my radar. But I honestly don't remember ever seeing the show in the afternoon. I remember seeing like little bits and pieces of it in the morning when I was getting ready for school. And well, because you're getting ready for school, that means you cannot sit there and watch TV, right? And so I remember that you know, somebody would have the uh, TV on and they'd just be flipping through the channels, maybe going to the news to get the weather report, fuck if I know. And, oh, hey, there's the Super Mario Brothers cartoon. But it just, it was really far off my, my radar. And in fact, you know, come to that, for that same reason, so were the Ninja Turtles until about, <clears throat> oh, geez, I don't know, uh, like the spring of 1990. I honestly don't think I saw an episode of the Ninja Turtles cartoon until the spring of 1990. And I think by then they were in like their third something season, right? But because their show was always on in the morning, fucking I just, I I never had a chance to see it. Or if it wasn't on only in the morning, and honestly that, I'm talking a little bit out my ass, but I swear to think that it definitely wasn't on when I was watching TV in the afternoon. Now, keep in mind that when I got home from school, my primary interest each day was flipping over to the, you know, Adam West uh, uh, Batman TV show and getting those on reruns, you know. So, pretty much if it wasn't that, I wasn't watching it. So, take all of this for whatever you think it's worth. And, wow, this really is completely fucking off topic. Anyway, to get back into Prime's email... <clears throat> Millie Vanilli were in the Super, Mother, uh, Super Mario Brothers cartoon. Well, the one for Super Mario Brothers 3, I swear I'm not making this up, but Wendy Okupa, a.k.a. Cutie Pie, as she was called in the show for some reason, uses magic to steal their singing talent, meaning M Millie Vanilli, sing stealing their singing talent. Yes. She literally stole something that didn't even exist. Doubt you ever heard of that, but it's something I remember from back in the day. I'm putting your email back on pause here and say, fucked, no, I did not know that, actually. But that is, wow, that really is kind of fucking ironic. Wow, stole something that never really existed in the first place. That's funny. Anyway, get back in the uh, email. On smoking. I honestly think it's a very bad habit to get into, but if being told it'll kill you, and that's a very proven fact. What the shit in that does to, does to you won't stop you, then I doubt I can change your mind. On electronic cigarettes, really just water vapor? And I'm going to put your email back on pause. I assume you're asking, is that really just water vapor that gets exhaled whenever you smoke an electronic, or sorry, vape? An electronic cigarette. I don't know why they have to come up with all these retarded little words and stuff. I mean, you're fucking... You're, I mean, I understand, you know, people don't want this to be thought of at least in the same kind of category as smoking in terms of public health. And I get that. But it just kind of seems like, you know, you, when they come up with these really retarded, just fucking little names for it, you know, you're not... I'm not smoking, I'm vaping. You know, what the fuck, dude? But yeah, that's really... That really is all it is. I mean, whenever I... Whenever I pull off my electronic cigarette... Actually, I'm going to do that right now. Uh, 
when I when I pull off my uh, electronic cigarette, right? What I'm uh, what I'm basically taking into my mouth and then into my lungs. Actually, I'm gonna uh, go further back even than that. Basically, what I do is I fill up my little tube tank here with the uh, with this liquid nicotine, and this is just plain old tobacco flavored. You know, there's really you know, it's n nothing, you know, frilly or anything like that. It's just, you know, plain old tobacco, right? Now, I've got... Let me see. I've got a couple of different flavors here. I've got tobacco, and that's the name of it. It's just, it's tobacco. Then I've got tobacco pure. And then I've also got cherry lava. And I've got sort of a love-hate relationship with cherry lava. I mean, it's okay, but, like, the brand for all this stuff is is uh, Volcano, right? And basically what all this bullshit is, it's ba think of it as uh, concentrated nicotine, right? Liquid nicotine that we're talking about here, right? Pour that in the old tube tank, and then uh, screw the whole son of a bitch back together. Push the button. Pull off it. Inhale. Then when I exhale, what I am exhaling at that point <clears throat> really is completely water vapor, right? And, you know, it's kind of funny that this that this even uh, is coming up here because, well, actually, I'll, I'll tell that story in, in uh, uh, just a moment. But, you know, that's basically what it is. And so uh, it, it really is It's just water vapor. It just kind of vanishes on its own. And even if someone else were to inhale what I exhale, well, they're inhaling water vapor. I assume that they're not dying of anything whenever they inhale the water vapor when, I, when they take a shower. This is no more and no less, you know, harmful than that. So if they can, you know, handle it when they're in the shower, they should be able to handle even less of it whenever I smoke it in public. Or sorry, vape it in public. Jeez, that's such a stupid fucking word. Anyway, get back into Prime's email, though. The only counterclaim to that would be that smoking those in, in public sets a bad example, but let's be honest here. There's lots of things setting a bad example for kids. So enjoy that electronic cigarette, Magnus. I got two things to say to that, so I'm just going to put your email on pause here real quick and say, the way I see it, there's a limit to what we're... And, and actually, before I even get into that, let me just say, you know what, guys? What I'm about to say is just completely my opinion. If you feel otherwise, well, then great. Fuck it. You feel otherwise. All right? I'm just... This show is supposed to be about me expressing my opinion. And sometimes you guys may not always agree with me. So if you agree with what I'm about to say, great. If you don't agree with what I'm about to say, also great. But this is just the way I see it. It's not the entire fucking public's responsibility to set a good example for children. It's just not. Alright? The fact is, the way that some people dress in public sets a bad example for children. The amount of alcohol that some people drink in public sets a bad example for children. Some of the things that people say in public sets a bad example for children. It's just, you know, you go on down the line, a lot of things set a bad fucking example for children. And I've never been one of those it takes a village type. 
You know, I'm of the opinion, always have been, I guess probably always will be, it doesn't take a village. It takes a responsible parent to raise a child, all right? That's not the village's responsibility, right? And to me, the minute you try to outsource something like that to everybody else, fuck, dude, I think that's half the problem that society has these days, all right? Nobody wants to be the one to take responsibility for children. Uh, parents don't want to do it. School teachers don't want to do it. The government doesn't want to do it. Fucking nobody wants to do it, right? Well, here's the thing. Of all those people I just mentioned, those children and taking responsibility for them, that's the job of only one group, the parents, all right? Everyone else is there to do a job. It's the parents that are responsible for their children. And I have to tell you, you know, when I was a kid, there was this one time uh, the family and I, we were at some fucking fast food restaurant hanging around eating our dinner, and some teenagers over at the next table over were, you know, using some pretty fucking obscene language, right? You know, fuck this, fuck that, fuck you, fuck me, the world's fucked up, I want to get fucked, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so eventually my mom just has enough, and she tells them, you know, shut the fuck up. You know, she's going to go over there and, 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 you know, kick a little ass, and this was the 80s, you understand, so I guess it wasn't unusual, you know, for some, you know, mom to go around, you know, threatening to beat the shit out of some teenagers if they didn't straighten up and get their act together. And so what they do? They shut the fuck up, they straightened up, they got their acts together. They didn't talk like that around us kids anymore, right? It's the parents' responsibility to do things like that. And <clears throat> I guess on that basis, since we're on the subject... A couple of days ago, my girlfriend and I, well, actually, I guess it was a couple of weeks ago, something, fuck it, I don't know, uh, whenever, whenever that movie Divergent came out, whatever weekend that was, my girlfriend and I, my girlfriend, Stasis Magnus, we, she and I went to see uh, Divergent uh, together, and usually whenever I go to, um, whenever I go to movies, what I normally do is... I take out my electronic cigarette, and, and then, I know you guys can't see it, but if you can just imagine, it's got a little glow light at the end of it. I cover that with uh, my hand so that nobody can see it, right? And then I pull off it, and then whenever it's time for me to blow out the vapor, I blow it to the floor. That way it's not going to bother anybody, right? There's no fucking way that this could bother anybody. Nobody knew I was doing it, except for this fucking beer-swilling, desiccated fucking redneck that was sitting right next to me, all right? And he says, hey, you're not supposed to be doing that. That's against the law. That's illegal, all right? Now, I am sick and fucking tired of people telling me what the law is. I know what the law is. I live in Texas, all right? There is no state law that says you can't smoke this in public. There is no local ordinance in my city, which is Houston, saying that I can't smoke these in public. All right? Now, I realize that people fucking misapply that. All right? They, they see, they know for a fact that there are, there are non-smoking ordinances throughout town, and they want to apply that to electronic cigarettes. But the, but the ordinance is actually very clear. You know, tobacco products. This is not a tobacco product. Okay, period, end of discussion. Okay, I don't need to go any, any further beyond that and say, well, there's not even a specific law for this, although there's fucking not. 
that's just the way that it works. And on top of all of that, I realize that a lot of um, private businesses have their own policies, which is a completely fucking different thing. If they wholesale ban electronic cigarettes, hey, fuck it, fine. All right? But I knew from many conversations, many previous experiences and other things, that this movie theater has no such policy. None. All right? And I don't give a flying fuck what some pimply-faced fucking minimum wage-earning teenager tells me. I don't, I, I don't care. All right? I don't care what some fucking high school kid who works at this theater tells me about that. He doesn't fucking know. He doesn't know what policy is. All right? All he knows is that somebody's complaining about something or not, or that his manager tells him to do something or doesn't, or whatever. He doesn't know jack fucking shit. A teenager's job is to shut the fuck up and listen. That's how I see it. All right? In fact, really, that's, all, that's, that's any kid's job. Shut the fuck up and listen, you know? Anyway, so this fucking redneck that's sitting next to me, right, looked to be, I don't know, somewhere in his mid to late 40s, right? <clears throat> He's all telling me, oh, you can't do that in here. That's fucking illegal, which for all the reasons I just said, no, it is not. All right? And so I'm like, yeah, well, uh, cry me a river, build a bridge, and get over it, you know? So then he just starts breathing all heavy and stuff, like that thing that fucking non-smokers do when they want to fucking publicly shame you. You know, guys, I got to tell you... I, you know, that must take some kind of fucking balls to, uh, to do that, you know? To breathe all heavy and stuff, you know, to, to shame a, a, a fucking smoker. Dude, look, I've actually come to the, uh, come to the realization the next time some, some motherfucker does that uh, around me, I'm going to find something legal. It's going to be legal, but I'm going to find some kind of way to fuck that guy's day up. I'm going to fuck it up real bad, all right? Fuck you, dude. You know, breathing all heavy and coughing and shit because, you know, God forbid somebody's enjoying themselves. Dude, you don't like it? Fucking sit someplace else. All right? Uh, somebody's outside smoking a cigarette. You don't like it? Fucking stand someplace else. It's a free fucking country, and this is this is public property. You don't like it, asshole? Go someplace else. God. Anyway. Ugh, that felt good. Anyway. So, guy just starts fucking, you know, <laughs> coughing and shit, or fake coughing. And all this other bullshit, and he's like, "Hey, I, I'm, I'm just, I, I, I'm gonna tell the manager, dude. If you, if you don't stop it, I'm gonna tell the manager." So, you know, look, here's the thing. I am here at the movie theater watching this movie, right? I was there with my girlfriend, all right. And let me just tell you something about my girlfriend. She will not be impressed with me, not one bit. If I end up getting involved in some kind of scene with that fucking zero, right? And so there's, at this point, there's really nothing in it for me to, you know, return fire and, you know, make, I don't know, you know, tempting though it might be, there's just, there's no percentage in it, you know? So anyway, so I just decide, you know what, fuck him, I'm just, I'm just gonna, you know, relax a little bit, let him relax a little bit once he gets his little fucking attitude problem under control. Then I'll go back to uh, I'll go back to having my my e-cig, right? So about 20, 30 minutes later, I like okay, a sufficient amount of time has now passed, all right? And so I went back to puffing away. And like I said, the way that I do it is I cover up the little light at the end of the cigarette, and then I blow all the vapor at the floor, right? 
And I was so effective at doing this that the motherfucker didn't even know that I'd gone back to vaping. All right? That's how he knew. Or, yeah, I mean, that, well, that, that's not how he knew. The, the guy didn't know, right, is what I'm saying. I covered up the, the little light, that little LED light at the end of my battery. And then, I, and then after I got through pulling off it, I blew all the vapor on the floor. There's no fucking way he even knew that I was smoking. Except, I guess he caught a glimpse of it out of the corner of his eye. So I, I want to be clear on what I'm saying. It was not the act of me smoke, or at least not, the, it, let me rephrase that, it, rephrase even that. It's not the byproduct of me vaping that bothered him, all right? Because I'd been doing it for about 20 or 30 minutes, and he didn't even notice, right? It wasn't the vapor that bothered him. It couldn't have been. Because, like I said, it had been going on for 20 fucking 30 minutes, something like that. He just happened to, uh, you know, get a glimpse out of the corner of his eye of me sitting there, you know, puffing away on this thing. That's what pissed him off, right? Fucking prick. And so... Anyway, he starts in on me again. And again, I mean, look, I'm here with my girlfriend. It's, she's not going to think it's cool. She's not going to think it's funny. She's not going to think it's anything but damned annoying. And probably, I don't even want to think about how embarrassed she would be if I were to, you know, again, get myself caught in some kind of scene with this fucking dipshit. And so eventually I decide, you know what, fuck this. I'm, I'm done. I'm just, I'm just going to let it go, right? Had she not been around, I shudder to think what might have happened next, all right? So, <clears throat> there is that to think about. Anyway, movie ends, and this was the part that just fucking pissed me off. You know, this fucking redneck loser gets up out of his chair, and he's like, okay, now you can start smoking, right? Fucking dick. Anyway, so, and the only thing I could think to say was... Uh, Thank you, sir. You know, fucking asshole. Anyway, so... So then once the movie's over, uh, you know, go to the bathroom, take a leak, come out. And... Then, I don't know, some... He looked to be, I don't know, somewhere like uh, in his mid-twenties, assistant manager type. Basically came over and he's like, yeah, hey, uh, heard about what happened in there. And, you know, we really don't allow, you know, uh, vaping on premises. We don't allow smoking, but certainly not vaping. Uh, We don't allow that inside, uh, you know, indoors and whatnot. And I was like, look, dude, I've been through this with your manager. The guy that you report to, the guy that signs your paychecks. I've been through it with him. He doesn't mind. Well, I know, but we still have this policy. And he, um, basically, he's giving me this just bullshit customer service dance about some fucking policy that I know beyond any shadow of a goddamn doubt doesn't even exist. And it, it, it hits me. You know, there's a script that he and I are supposed to abide by. He tells me not to do it. I say I'm not going to do it. We all fucking move on, right? Confusing him with the facts is not really productive to anything is what I'm saying, right? And so, you know, and that eventually kind of became apparent to me, and so I just told him, all right, fine, fucking whatever, you know. I guess I'm not going to do this anymore, indoors, fucking dick. So, he's like, yeah, and I swear, he was like fucking Lumberg. That's who he reminded me of. He was like Lumberg from Office Space, right? Yeah. I'm going to have to go ahead and uh, ask you not to do that anymore. That'd be terrific. You know, just that kind of bullshit. 
He's a fucking douche. And to be honest with you, I mean, look, he's kind of caught between a rock and a hard place, all right? One of his customers is vaping inside of uh, the movie theater. Another of his customers is pissed off by that. Now, there is nothing he can do that won't that that isn't just fucking guaranteed to piss one or the other of us off. There's nothing he can do. Nothing. All right? And so you know what? Like on the one hand, I get that and I don't want to make the guy's job any harder than it has to be. But fuck him, dude. I'm not the one who's wrong here. All right? If you can show me a law that I'm breaking, show me a policy that I'm breaking or anything else, that's fine. But simply saying that this stuff is the law or saying that this stuff is the policy, dude, that fucking cuts no ice with me. Number one, I know for a fact, it's not that I suspect, I know for a fucking fact that this is not against any fucking law. None. Period. End of story. And then number two, I know also for a fact that this isn't against any kind of policy that the, that the movie theater has either. All right? This isn't something that I suspect or something that I think or I heard about. Somebody, somebody once told me about. Might be the case. It's possible. No. I know beyond any shadow of a fucking doubt that there is no law against this and there is no policy against this. None. All right? Anybody who says otherwise doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. All right? That's how things are in my city which is Houston, Houston, Texas. That's how things are in my city at this moment. I keep on track. I, I, I keep on top of this stuff. I keep track of what's going on. All right? I know what the law says. And I know, like, the majority of places that I hang out, especially if it's a big chain, like this movie theater is, I find out what their policies are. This isn't against the law. This isn't against any kind of policy. Anybody who says otherwise doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. Simple as that. <sighs> anyway. Ugh, that felt good. Okay. To get back into his email, though. Fanboy Miss Prime writes, On women's urinals. Yeah, that's kind of strange. Yeah, just a bit. Again, sorry this one is, is short, but it is being worked on. It being that massive DC Presents story ideas as I'm working on it more and more. I sure hope you find it an interesting and funny look into my madness. So long and thanks for all the fish. Um, actually, you know what? Thank you, uh, uh, Prime. I, you know, look, I guess for one thing, I, look, I hope you understand, dude. It's not that I was blowing up at you a minute ago. I hope that's clear. It's just that I guess I, I am sick and fucking tired of, of the mentality of this country being that everybody has to be equally fucking miserable as everyone else. And the minute we see someone enjoying himself and, and having a, a good time, that means it's, it's time for the fucking claws to come out and all this stuff. I mean, it just, it, fuck. It, you know, it, 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 I just, I swear to think that there was a time in this country when we all recognized that, you know what? Unless somebody is flagrantly breaking the law and, I don't know, endangering the public somehow, we're going to basically leave them the fuck alone. And I realize there's probably some anti-fucking smoke, smoking Nazi out there that would love for me to think that this stuff somehow does pose a threat to the public health. Number one, you're wrong. Number two, suck my nuts. Alright? So, that's just, that's, that's just how I feel about it. So, anyway...
So that's pretty much that. So as far as feedback goes, I think that's pretty much it. I'm just going to go ahead and take a look at iTunes here real fast and find out if I've got any new, if I have any any kind of uh, uh, new uh, uh, reviews that have been filed. Because sometimes you don't, for those of you who don't know, it's not like you get a, a notification about this when it happens. You basically just have to check. Anytime you think about doing it, you just have to check and find out. And so I don't, I don't think there's anything new. But I, then again, it's not like I've checked today, so let's have a look. Yeah, no, there's nothing. Nothing new. So, all right, so that's pretty much that for this week. Um, and uh, basically what's happening is uh, for next week, just to kind of give you guys an idea of where things are going, what's happening for uh, next week is... Let's have a look at the schedule here. Let's see where I'm going. All right. Next week, I'm continuing my celebration of um, Superman's 76th anniversary. I'm going to be talking about Superman Earth 1 Volume 2. Not next week. I'm just saying that all of this stuff starts next week. So starting next week, that's when all of this stuff resumes. And one of the things I'm going to be talking about is, uh, let's see, Superman Earth 1 Volume 2. And the... The pre-season 11 Smallville comic book, I'm going to be talking about that as well. Now, to be perfectly honest, I'm really... The other things that are that are listed on here, as far as other things that I'm going to want to talk about, other Superman stories... Maybe I'll, <clears throat> maybe I'll, discover, uh, I'll discuss those, and, and maybe I won't. I don't, to be honest with you, I haven't really made up my mind about that. So that's why I'm not going to tell you what else is coming, except what's for sure coming... <laughs> is that Smallville season, uh, I don't know, Circa season two comic that came out uh, starting in 2002. I'm going to be talking about that, and I'm also going to be talking about Superman, Earth One, Volume Two. So for sure, those two things, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about those two things. Um, and then there's also going to be four other episodes as well, but, you know, like I said, I haven't really, I don't know, haven't really figured out if, I really want to do every single one of those. I don't know. I haven't really, like I said, I, I, I'm just not sure yet. But that's where, ba that's pretty much where things are going right now. So just want to thank everybody for uh, taking the time to listen. Also want to thank Fanboy Miss Prime for taking the time to write in. If you want to write in, you can um, you can reach me at trenusmagnus at gmail.com. That's T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S at gmail.com. Trenusmagnus at gmail.com. And unless you say otherwise, all correspondence will be read on mic. Also, I'd like to encourage you, if you're listening to this, to file uh, iTunes reviews. I know it's kind of a pain in the ass because you have to, you know, open up iTunes and you have to log in. Then you have to find my feed, which my feed is Two True Freaks Presents Trennis Magnus Punches Reality. And then you have to actually type the shit and all that stuff. I know it's a pain in the ass. So that's why I'd really appreciate it if you guys could... Uh, take some time to do that. So, otherwise, I think that's pretty much it. So, bye, everybody. I'll talk to you next week. Okay, so I think that's just about the end of that. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. You can find the home for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com, which is spelled... T-W-O-T-R-U-E 
F-R-E-A-K-S. You can also find it on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-S-M-A-G-N-U-S-S. You can email me and my parole officer at TrentusMagnus at gmail.com, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Did you know? You can sponsor any episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. That's right. Simply click the PayPal link, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there's no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a cut of what you buy. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and it really helps the freaks out. You get to shop as usual, and help out the two true freaks at the same time. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promo section. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonsacor of Milan, Italy.